Welcome to the Digital Week, where we aim to make sense of the new economy in under 15 minutes. Thanks for listening. It's brought to you by the PwC Chair in the Digital Economy. You'll find us at www.chairdigitaleconomy.com or follow us on Twitter at chairdigeconomy. Also, we're open to really receiving your feedback. I'm Monica Bradley. See you in the Digital Week. Welcome to the Digital Week. I'm Monica Bradley, and here with me today is Professor Michael Roseman and the Chair in the Digital Economy, Marek Kowalkowicz. Lovely seeing you again, Monica. I hope you're well. Great to see you. Good to see you, Monica. And today we're exploding this meta, mega, micro trends. Trends, trends, trends. Every, you know, it's getting towards the end of the year. As people look to the new year and how they're going to plan their work, how they're going to change the world, uh, people are deciding how should I approach it and make sense. So today, I'm really counting on you two to give us some really good guidance on, on trends and really how should we adopt that. And yes, trends, 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 right? People talk about all sorts of trends. You have those mega trends like urbanization and you know everything that is happening to the world, the wealth redistribution and so on. And then you have what I call micro trends, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, personal assistance and so on. These are all technologies, but there, there might be some trends in business. The problem is when you're a CEO, neither this mega trend nor a micro trend really mean much to you. You still need to decide what it means to your organization and what you should do about it. Mm. So it's more about, Michael, do you think how the CEO or the board then allocates the spending on innovation and how we would apply to these trends? I agree. So I think it's important to understand what Marek just talked about, the, the micro and the macro trends to understand what's going on with or without us. Mm. It's how we internalize those trends. And that's what we call meta-trends. So I look at urbanization or the Internet of Things, and now it's about what does it do to me? That's right. And, and we see three, three possible outcomes here. Either they could create a massive problem for me. I'm about to be disrupted. Mm -hmm. So for me, the big stick, the big fear, is uh, my main driver for change. The second one could mean it creates a massive opportunity. I'm an early spotter of those trends. Mm. And before others think about disrupting me, I'm in the driver's seat, and that's what we call opportunity-driven transformation. Mm -hmm. And the third one, of course, is I don't really know what technology matters. It's too early to spot the problem, but I spot a massive opportunity. And that brings us to a really good sense-making point, because a lot of our listeners say, well, I, I hear all this stuff about trends, but so what? What really changes for me? And I understand that I'm under threat and might be disrupted or it's an opportunity I might get. But how would you organise that? So if we look at, you know, really, you, we're try, we've spent a lot of time this year looking at Porter's model, which is really the last bastion of the, innovate, of the you know, industrial age of how we measured competitive advantage. Why don't you talk us through, Marek and Michael, a little bit about what you're exploring with what that new Porter's model might look like. Absolutely. So, so with the with the, the original approach, there's a lot of focus on, uh, on what, what we call exploitation of the existing business models, the existing markets. The one question that a lot of organisations are asking is how do we how do we now, how do we now explore? How do we innovate? How do we um, look into new opportunities? Just what, what what Michael mentioned about the meta trends. And the question is, the original model does not really give us all the answers. We need to think about, about a model that allows us to decide when do we execute, when do we innovate as an organization. So I still believe that Michael Porter makes sense because industrialization, economies of scale are at the heart of every organization. Mm. Michael Porter allowed us to understand how we execute. What are the steps, the primary, the secondary activities needed to execute really well. Uh, this worked well in a very stable environment, mm. an environment that is changing very quickly, 
We need to work out how to improve my ability, my capability, my efficiency uh, to change. And so what we want to do is, uh, in addition to the heavy focus on creativity and design, to add a flavor of industrialization to innovation. Oh, industrialization of innovation. I'm loving that term. <laughs> so you've drawn a great, uh, just for our listeners that can't see it, but you've drawn us um, a lovely axis here where we've got up of uh, up the left-hand axis, we've got the innovation curve, which is all about, you know, the how do we seek opportunities, how do we look at them, and then what is the process that we might go through with those innovations to test their feasibility and their viability in our marketplace. And then across, I guess, the right-hand axis, we've then got your more traditional Porter's model, which is really how well do I execute? And we had a very good discussion about where is the pivot point? So how does a company know when they've innovated enough and they need to pivot to execute on that? Mm. And it's a, uh, it really depends. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice academic answer here. It depends. It depends on the industry you're in or it depends on your business model. So how much are you under a threat of disruption? So there are industries, there are business models which you, know, you shouldn't worry too much just yet. Just focus on the execution. And then there are other uh, business models or industries where you should focus more on the innovation. So, so we've, we've done some work. Michael has done a, a, an amazing work uh, understanding a revenue threat uh, model for different industries. And depending on where you are, you will get that answer. Correct. So, so Monica, you're spot on. If companies have limited resources, they have to work out how much to allocate to execute mm. as opposed to how much to allocate to innovate. So there's two things. One is the urgency, I guess, whether you're under threat and whether you've got the, the, the beautifulness or the, the luxury of time, mm-hmm. um, or versus then what do you want to drive competitive advantage and how what is your strategy to be a leader, to be a follower, a fast follower? Yeah. So at the moment, we, we have a revenue threat index. I think we are about to quantify per industry uh, to what extent do you have a big stick or small stick. Uh, and, and how much fire is your burning uh, platform here. So I think it's easier to quantify the threat. We don't have a revenue opportunity index. Mm. So at the moment, it's hard to convert emerging technologies, all mm. the microtrends that Marek talked about, into opportunity potential. This is massive new, new research, but at the moment I would say we understand what industries uh, should allocate more of their resources to to innovation, um, and um, this is a, a requirement that is needed if, if you want to uh, not be the one who's disrupted. And and the important outcome of it is that we are able to to tell whether an organization is spending too much resources, time on innovation, or too little. So over innovation versus under innovation. Correct. So I think the value chain. We understand the notion of, for example, over engineering. We've seen factories and products that were over engineered. Um, what we now see in the space of innovation, because of this obvious pressure, the curiosity, a lot of organizations right now uh, actually over-innovate. They, they, they innovate to an extent that goes far beyond what is needed, which means on the one side a waste of resources, but also could mean um, a serious impact on the credibility you face. And this is interesting. I guess in the industrial age, it was that tension between um, the engineers designing the product that always mm. wanted to make sure everything was perfect before they sent it to market because they didn't want to experience a failure um, versus the revenue officer that wanted to get the product into marketplace so they could start earning and, and returning to um, to the business model, which is creating value. And I guess we're seeing that in your model, right? So we've got the chief opportunity officers that are out there spot 
spotting and, and uh, doing environmental sensing of, and they use intuition and they, they use discovery to very much bring together perhaps micro, mega and meta trends that create unique possibilities for a company. They then send them over to the chief innovation officer, okay, I guess that then, is it, would this be correct, Marek? That's right. And then he would process those ideas through, um, and we're obviously trying to minimise the latency from idea into a minimal viable product or something that can be tested. Mm-hmm. Um, so then where is that commercial pressure to get it out of the innovation officer's hands and put it into the chief operating officer's hands so it becomes a product that can then be you know, money derived from it? Absolutely. And I, and I would say, again, that this all depends on the industry and what is the threat in this particular industry, right? So just like what Michael said, if the pressure is low, in a particular industry, then what we'll see over innovation will basically mean wasted resources. It's like you know too much steam, but you know no movement there. Uh, and and in you know the, the flip side of it, in industries where uh, the threat is high, even small amounts of innovations will immediately go into into execution. Right? You you really see that. Can I maybe also elaborate on on the interplay of the chief opportunity officer, mm. who more or less is in charge for for future revenue? Mm. And the question is, when do we hand it over and it becomes actual revenue? in the hands of a product manager. That's right. A lot of organizations, I fear, uh, see this as a very sequential process. I finished mm. the ideation work, it's all up to you. When you see the, the really digitally minded companies, uh, for a long time it's, it's, a, it's a marriage of the opportunity officer and the product owner. So I, I launch a better version, I learn with my consumers, I improve the, the, the quality of the business model, the technical features or uh, design features to increase customer satisfaction. Mm. But so ideation really and commercialization point. goes for a long time still hand in hand until yeah. you feel comfortable and say, now I can really launch it, and ideation really truly becomes secondary. So you can see it's gradually, you could say initially it's all 100% is all ideation innovation, and then gradually you, you bring this down, commercialization kicks in until you hand it over and say, the opportunity officer looks at something else and I just convert this into one massive cash cow. There's a good question of uh, build versus buy. If I'm a large organization, should I do it by myself or maybe just observe the environment and if I see a successful startup, if I see a successful organization, do I just acquire them and then... And we're seeing that at the moment there's been a lot of spend and I guess because it's a new space there hasn't been and we're at the forefront I guess with the PwC chair in the digital economy starting to put some of those tools and templates Mm. and frameworks in place that allow enterprises to make these choices. Mm. Uh, But part of it really is um, how are you looking to make these judgment decisions about where the innovation then flips into commercialisation of how it will happen. Um, and perhaps, Michael, you had a great saying about, you know, people are, and companies are approaching it in a different ways. Some people are using venture fund to go and actually just put an equity space in a new company that they want to have an interest in that might disrupt them. <clears throat> Others are internally creating massive teams about innovations and innovation offices. Some people are coming to innovation networks like startups and mm-hmm. being part of startup hubs mm-hmm. and wanting to innovate with startups or universities. Yep. So it's interesting that that mix, and I guess, is that a... Is that just where we are in the maturity curve of innovation? I, I think so. And if I get back to the buy and build, I think you can buy two elements. You either buy innovative products or innovative processes. Ah, yeah. Or so, people. Or people. Access to people. Uh, so resources. So when, when I talk about products, what I mean is you, you could observe what's happening, let's say, in a startup, huh? Mm. And when the product is, let's say, ideated or semi-incubated, you express an interest. Mm. Uh, so that's buying a product that's about to take off. As opposed to you buy an innovation process, you might say, I don't do incubation really well. 
And, and like, a, like a car company that outsourced the entire function in the value chain, you'd say, I don't do incubation. Uh, I buy incubation as a service. I buy learning. I buy ideation as a service. I buy design gems as a service. So I think we see this emerging marketplace where organizations offer components of the innovation value chain as a service. Mm. And I think it's a demand-supply problem at the moment. So organizations don't understand enough what they can purchase, but we see more and more niche providers along the innovation value chain, not just along the, the execution value chain over their services. Sometimes it's a very tough decision if you've spent a lot of resources on building a product or a service to decide that you're not good at it and to go out to market to acquire another company. That's a tough decision. Well, innovation is what construction and destruction. That's right. And often the destruction component, innovation is harder yes. than the construction component. Mm. But, but the, the main lesson learned here are that we understand why we innovate. We understand we have to innovate in the innovation uh, value chain. Uh, but for us, innovation is also a bit like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What we really want to highlight here, do it in moderation. Really? <laughs> <laughs> right. Heresy, heresy, yeah. So pivoting to execute. So if we think about that, we you know we, we like it, the PwC chair in the digital economy, to also give our listeners an idea of what do these jobs look like that people will populate in, in the new economy. So what might be some of the jobs that are going to come out of this balance between the, you know, the, tr the ability to transform versus the ability to uh, transact at a high level of performance? Maybe it's not a new job, maybe it's a new job description. Okay. So if you're a chief innovation officer, maybe one of your roles, and just like Michael was talking about moderation right now, maybe you should also moderate innovation activities. As a chief innovation officer, you should be able to say, hey, my organization is over-innovating at the moment, let's just trim it a bit. Or maybe we're under-innovating, so continuously making those decisions. I agree. I think in previous podcasts, we often created job titles and were sometimes a bit vague on the bullet points that describe the job. Mm. Uh, what we see today is I think we can give a lot of meat to, to the job descriptions of innovation officers. And when you go across organizations, it's all trial and error. There's no standard industry uh, uh, template. We don't have an, have an association of innovation managers. We don't have consensus. We don't have a common body of knowledge. What do they do? And what we suggested today, we could say there is innovation latency as a KPI. Mm. There are decisions around buy and build, around different services. So understanding how you innovate and the interplay of innovation execution hopefully helps us to, to again, mature job descriptions and to a certain extent standardize uh, job descriptions. Because what we need is a healthy marketplace of talent who understands innovation. So the challenge for 2017 in the PwC chair in the digital economy, small one, redesigning Porter's model. So perhaps it will be the triple M model, Monica, Marek and Michael, <laughs> um, that will redesign how, do, how is value created and competitive advantage in, in the emerging economy and, and how might those interplay of the innovation process, which is largely about what's the desirability with your client group, what's the viability, what's the feasibility, and how do I move through that process at the correct speed and, and to the correct extent versus then how do I take that product in and get transactional performance in making sure that it gets to market in an efficient, effective, scaled way. I agree, I agree. And I think for us, we, we often talk about how we innovate the industrialized age. What we talk about is today how we industrialize the, the innovation, innovation age. age. Mm -hmm. And organizations who want to accelerate today, they uh, have to think about how do I bring more rigor, more repeatability into the process of large-scale uh, successful innovation. So these are the two, two sides of the story. And maybe in the next year, we shift a bit more on the industrialization of innovation. That's right. What I'm going to remember from today is that innovation is like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs>
very Marek. I'm going to remember the innovation, industrialization of innovation. That's that's a massive topic. And I look forward to seeing the frameworks, the processes and the thinking that will then be translated with our clients into real test so that we actually can start to lead and give some tools that the innovation community can use to do this in Australia and around the world better and better. Thanks for your time this morning, Marek. Season's greetings and Michael Roseman. Thanks, Monica. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Monica.